0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening.
1: This morning, our Bible reading is broken up into three parts Zechariah 11, 4 to 12, Zechariah 12, 10, 13 to 1 and Zechariah 13, 7-9. If you'd like to get your Bibles, please do so. If not, the slides in front of you will show the passage for this morning. We will be taking the reading from the NMAE version. This is what the Lord my God says, shepherd the flock, mark for slaughter. Their buyers slaughter them and go unpunished. Those who sell them says, praise the Lord, I am rich. Those who, their own shepherds do not spare them. For I will no longer have pity on the people of the land, declares the Lord. I will give everyone into the hands of their neighbours and their king. They will devastate the land and I will not rescue anyone from their hands. So I shepherded the flock marked for slaughter, particularly the oppressed of the flock. Then I took two staff and called one favour and the other union, and I shepherded the flock. In one month, I got rid of the three shepherds. The flock detested me, and I grew wary of them, and said, I will not be your shepherd. Let the dying die and the perishing perish. Let those who are left eat one another's flesh. Then I took my staff, called favor, and broke it, revoking the covenant I made with all the nations. It was revoked on that day, and so the oppressed of the flock who were watching me knew it was the word of the Lord. I told them, If you think it best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me thirty pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, threw it into the potter, the handsome price at which they valued me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the potter at the house of the Lord. Then I broke my second staff called Union, breaking the family bond between Judah and Israel. Then the Lord said to me, Take again the equipment of a foolish shepherd, for I am going to raise up a shepherd over the land who will not care for the lost or seek the young or heal the injured, or feed the healthy, but will eat the meat of the choice sheep, tearing off their hooves. Woe to the worthless shepherd and who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. May his arm be completely withered, his right eye totally blinded. A prophecy, the word of the Lord concerning Israel. The Lord who stretches out the heavens, who laid the foundations of the earth, and who formed the human spirit within a person, declares, I am going to make Jerusalem a cup that sends all the surrounding people reeling. Judah will be besieged as well as Jerusalem. On that day, when all the nations of the earth gather against her, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock for all the nations. All who try to move will injure themselves. And I will pour out the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him, as one who mourns for the only child, and grieve bitterly for him, as one grieves for a firstborn son. On that day, the weeping in Jerusalem will be as great as the weeping of Haman Ruan in the plains of Medigo. The land will mourn each clan by itself, with their wives by themselves, the clan of the house of David and their wives, the clan of the house of Nathan and their wives, the clan of the house of Levi and their wives, the clan of Shimei and their wives, and all the rest of the clans and their wives. On that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sins and impurity. Awake, sword against my shepherd, against the men who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two thirds will be struck down and perish, yet one third will be left in it. This third I will put into the fire. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people, And they will say, the Lord is our God. This is the word of God.
2: Thank you, Ashley, for reading today's passage and a very good morning to everyone. It's always a privilege to be with God's people, opening up God's word and hearing from God. I hope this morning you come with an expecting heart to actually hear from God. So what I'm going to do right now is I'd like to invite you, if you have not gotten your Bible, a physical one would be great. If not, you have your phone to have it with you. Now in the youths, um, in the youth ministry, all the youths are having their sermon journal. So if you find writing helps you take a notebook, a pen with you, i just give us a moment. Today's PowerPoint, you will not find a single Bible verse. So you'll need your Bible with you if you want to follow along. But I will show you that if you have your Bible and you are looking at God's word together, we will hear from God. So I'll just give you a moment and then we will pray together. All right, let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that we can still gather despite not being able to meet in person Father, we ask God that you prepare our hearts this morning. Prepare our hearts and also our minds, Lord, that you illuminate us so that our minds can engage with you, our hearts can respond to you and direct our will. Father, remove any distractions from this short moment that we have in opening up your word, so that we can hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now the doctor cut the cord and gently placed him on Susan's chest. Marshall recounted the baby, he was a healthy pink. And we saw his chest rise and fall, he said, the breath of life. Thank you, God. Then almost immediately, the baby began to turn blue. We struck his face we whispered words of welcome, of love, of farewell. And all too soon, the doctor said he was gone. The son of Marshall and Susan Shelley, born with a rare genetic disorder called Trisomy 13. He lived for only seconds as was medically expected. Now, it was a moment of great joy when the baby boy was born, but the father already knew that his deepest grief was but that moment away. Marshall knew it was coming. Dear friends, there is a profound pain that some parents have to go through that words cannot describe. And God knows that pain because... That is the story of God. As you and I come to Zechariah, 13, uh, Zechariah 11 to 13, it was God's own diagnosis of what was to come when his beloved divine son, the shepherd king, the prince of peace, born under the stars of David, welcomed by the chorus of angels, would give up his breath all too soon because of the grave disorder of a world called sin now the son of god the shepherd king he would live only for a moment as was expected if you have your bible and i hope you do i want you to keep it close to you as we'll be opening up the bible to hear god speaking to us now just a few pages after zechariah we enter into times of the New Testament, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, the promised son of David, the son of Abraham and the son of God. Now, history tells us that Jesus came to love, to heal, to forgive. He called the unknown to himself, the despised, as his inner circle. He healed the sick. He taught the lost. He touched the unclean. He was the shepherd king that was promised one much greater than King David himself. He took no advantage of any man or woman. He was that greatest shepherd who stood against the religious lions and wolves and thieves. A bruised reed Jesus would not break. Rather, he raised the dead son of a broken woman the dead daughter of a crying man, the dead brother of women who had trusted in the Lord. He spoke with authority unlike the religious shepherds of his days. He was God's promised king who would ride a donkey into the city of David and step into the temple of God. Now, dear friends, it seems like heavy start this morning, but given the times that you and I live in, we know how important leaders are. We read about good leaders and bad leaders in this pandemic or epidemic days, how good leaders, they labored hard to protect the people under their care. And meanwhile, some leaders would persecute and harm others for political or religious dominance, even while COVID ravaged their land. And we hear of pastors who would die for the gospel and their flock. At the same time, there are false teachers who would profit without blinking their eyes from the sheep that trusted them. But one thing is for sure, as we look around this world, there is no perfect leader. None except for God and the shepherd king he sent. His birth, was the greatest joy of god but the grief will come all too soon so as you and i we turn to zechariah chapter 11 verse 4. would you turn to zechariah 11 verse 4. if we flip there we will see that the lord god he gave this command to the prophet zechariah he wants zechariah to enact out both the Past and the future of Israel, the Lord said, Shepherd my flock. Mark for slaughter. Now, their buyers slaughter them and go unpunished. Those who sell them say, Praise the Lord, I'm rich. Now, their own shepherd do not spare them. Now, Zechariah plays the role of a good shepherd amongst the poor, the bad shepherds in Israel. The people had become commodities for the wicked shepherds. At the same time, the people themselves, they do not honor each other. Now, Zechariah, he was to be the Lord's shepherd who cares for the oppressed. And so he went to care. He carried with him two staffs, one called favor, the other called union. And so Zechariah, he went and he cared for the oppressed, And he declared God's judgment on the wayward people and the bad shepherds. In fact, within his first month as a shepherd, Zechariah got rid of three other shepherds. The flock should have been thankful for what Zechariah did. But instead, look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. Instead of being thankful, the flock detested Zechariah as their shepherd. And in turn, Zechariah grew weary of them. And so he declared in verse 9, Zechariah 11 verse 9, he said, I will not be your shepherd. Let the dying die, the perishing perish. Let those who are left eat one another's flesh. Then Zechariah, As he looked at the people, he took the stuff called favor and he broke it and he revoked the covenant the shepherd had made with all peoples. ESV has a better translation here. He he revoked the covenant the shepherd made with all peoples. Now, the oppressed who were watching Zechariah carefully, he knew that these were not Zechariah's words, but the word of the Lord. Now, as Zechariah stood before the people, Verse 12, he told them this, If you think it best, give me my pay. If not, keep it. So the people paid Zechariah 30 pieces of silver. Now, when you read about this, some commentators will argue that Zechariah was actually upset because 30 pieces of silver was too small a sum of money. But that was probably not the case. The law of Moses had set the amount as compensation for causing an accidental death of a slave, of a life. In fact, it would be good money if Zechariah was merely a shepherd. Now, just imagine those of you who are working and slogging away and you hated your job. Imagine you have been slogging away in your job and finally you have had enough of this job. You wore your mask, you walk up to your CEO's table, <laughs> if you're still there. And you threw your resignation letter and said to him, I'm done. Just give me what I'm worth. If I'm worth anything to you, and I'll be gone. Now, you would have expected nothing from a bad boss. But lo and behold, your CEO, he hands you a lump sum of money as your severance pay. Now, you should actually be happy to leave that terrible job with cash in hand, knowing that a better job awaits you. It's not too bad. But imagine the CEO goes home. He sees his wife or his mother and he threw that pile of money at her face and said, we're done. That would be horrendous. Now as you come back to Zechariah, chapter 11, Zechariah was not a hired hand. He was representing God to the people and so the 30 pieces of silver that was given to Zechariah was actually the severance price that the people have set between them and God. And so with 30 pieces of silver, the people are saying we now break ties with God as our shepherd. Look carefully at verse 13 and 14. If your Bible look at verse 13 and 14. Let me read it to us. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they valued me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. And as the 30 pieces of silver rolled on the ground of the temple, Zechariah took the remaining staff called union and he broke that as well. Now, dear friends, what Zechariah acted out became the reality when God's servant king finally arrived in flesh and blood, carrying with him favor and union. Now, the people of Israel, they should have run to Jesus to receive him. As the prophet Malachi has said, And how grievous it was that instead of them running to Jesus, Jesus arrived to find wicked shepherds for God's flock, the religious leaders who showed themselves to be hypocrites and whitewashed tombs. And the breaking point came in that most holy week of the Passover where Jesus, the Son of God, he walked into the temple of God expecting to see Jews leading nations to return to God. But what did he see? Instead of that, he saw merchants, money changers, animal sellers. The court for Gentiles to worship God had become a money-generating marketplace for the religious and the powerful. Now, Jesus, the true shepherd, he was so deeply Grieved that he declared, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you, you make it a den of robbers. And as the people despised Zechariah, the symbolic shepherd. So God's people despised Jesus, the true shepherd, when he finally arrived. And when the chief priest failed to silence Jesus in words, They decided that it is time to silence him, to murder him. So turn with me just a few pages of Zechariah 11 into Matthew 27 and see the blood payment made to renounce their ties with God's shepherd. Turn with me, if you have your Bible, to Matthew. Just a few pages across, you'll be at the gospel according to Matthew. Turn to chapter 27 and look at verse 1 with me.
3: Matthew 27, verse
2: 1. You can read it with me from your end. I'm reading from NIV. Now, early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him and led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied, that is your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hung himself. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, It is against the law to put this money into the treasury since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a barrel place for the foreigners. What was played out by Zechariah was fulfilled in Jesus. As Judas threw the coins on the ground of the temple, that became the last time God related with the people on the old covenant in the temple. That was the last time. After Zechariah finished his first portrayal of the good shepherd and he stomped off, disgusted. We we're told again in Zechariah 11 verse 15 that the Lord called Zechariah back to play the role of the shepherd again. This time, this time he asked Zechariah played play a tyrant who cared not for the sheep but he would tear off their hooves, they will sing his teeth in the choice sheep. Now the picture was explained by Zechariah's own words. He said this, woe to the worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. And so the people who rejected the true shepherd would be left with a tyrant king. Their rejection of God would result in their own sufferings. And again, Zechariah acted out What became a historical reality? Now, as Jesus was being led out of the city of David, the streets were filled with onlookers. People were filling the streets of Jerusalem. Women were there mourning and weeping for him. But Jesus, he turned to the woman and he said this in Luke 23. You can flip with me or I'll read it to you from Luke 23. Luke 23, verse... Twenty-eight. Luke <clears throat> 23, verse 28. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the day will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore, the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us and on the hills, cover us. For if people do these things, killing God's true shepherd who cares for them, when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Dear friends, the words of Zechariah came true the days following Jesus' death. That temple would be destroyed in AD 70, never to be rebuilt. The physical temple, the central temple to the old covenant was no longer the place to find God. And those who wanted to be gods in God's temple, they were destroyed along with the building they have usurped from God. Now, dear friends, brothers, sisters, if, if that's how the Old Testament and the New Testament ended, there is actually no hope for the grieving or the dying. Now, if that murder of Jesus leaves us what we deserve, a three minute life, a 30 years life, a 90 years life would make no difference. Now, death and judgment are all that's left as our inheritance. We will close our eyes each night, hearing the footsteps of death on the corridor. Now, death has many names. It could be heart attack, cancer, old age, COVID. Each night we'll hear the footsteps of death passing the corridors until one day you hear it stops at our doorstep. There will be no hope if that's how the Old Testament and the New Testament ends. But Zechariah and the New Testament did not end in hopelessness because though the people had failed miserably, in the old covenant, resulting in the severance of relationship with God. God nevertheless was determined to redeem a people for himself. And so the prophecy concerning Israel was given. And now as you move to chapter 12 verse 1, God reappears as the Lord of creation. Look at Zechariah chapter 12 verse 1 with me in Zechariah chapter 12 verse 1. Let me read to us. In fact, you can read it from your end, if you want. Verse 1. A prophecy, the word of the Lord concerning Israel, the Lord who stretches out the heavens, who lays the foundation of the earth and who forms the human spirit within a person. I'm going to make Jerusalem a cup that sends all the surrounding people's reeling. And then he moved on below to say, I will make Jerusalem an immovable rock that all nations, for all the nations, all who try to move it will injure themselves. Now the helpless estate of Jerusalem will turn 180 degrees when God comes for them. Now this picture reminds me of this, this occasion when I carelessly tried to move this heavy toy luggage in church between two floors. Some of you know that the, the luggage, the black one, that's uh, way too heavy. And uh, I was talking, and I was moving, and I, and, and I injured my back really badly. And for a long time, I dare not touch the luggage. But meanwhile, the luggage and all his toys were totally secure and immovable there, sitting there at the top floor. Or perhaps the bedtime story about King Arthur's sword that I used to enjoy, the sword was embedded in the rock, and was totally immovable by anyone except the true king. Now on that day, says the prophecies, when the Lord appears, He will make Jerusalem immovable for all the nations. All who tries to move it will Mm -hmm. injure themselves. For God will defend Jerusalem against the assault of the nations. But listen to this. What was most important in this remaking of the house of David in Jerusalem was actually this, that on that day, God will pour out a spirit of grace and people will be able by the spirit to repent. Now the question is this, how could God or would God be able to turn such rebellious, wretched hearts back to himself after they have become so rebellious. We look at chapter 12 verse 10 with me, Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10.
3: Look at the second part of verse
2: 10. They will look on me, that's God, the one that appears, and they'll mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. And he grieved bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. Now, for this recreation, the redemption of a people worthy of death, God chose to pay the price that only he could pay. God must be willing to absorb his own justice on behalf of the wicked people. And furthermore, God must pour out his spirit. Now, the verse clearly says that the people pierce God, which is an impossibility and a mystery for the hearers of Zechariah's prophecy. But then it gets even more confusing. Look at verse 10 with me as I read and and notice what it actually says. This is what it says. They will look on me, says God, the one that pierce, and they will mourn for him. As one mourns for an only child. Now the prophecy is saying that there is one so close to God that piercing him is equivalent to piercing God. Now I remember you know, my, when my premature son was born, he had to do this lumbar puncture when he was only one month old, premature. Now when I saw the huge needle, half the length of his spine entering or piercing his little body to remove a sample of the cerebrospinal fluid to test. Now, I, I thought I actually had a heart attack when I was looking at it. I felt this phantom needle literally piercing into my heart. That, that was the first time that I actually felt such pain without anything touching my heart. Now, I'm, I'm sure some parents here, some of you may have felt Indescribable pain when your children suffer. Some of you do have. You no, know, Marshall and Susan Shelley, whom I shared at the beginning, they would have felt that unbearable piercing pain as they watched their beautiful baby boy turn blue in their arms and breathed his last. And that happened to God. God was pierced when his son was killed. Now, we have to ask the question,
3: who killed the Son of God? And
2: the answer must be twofold. The first answer is the people. Look back at verse 10. They will look on me as the one they have pierced. Now, the people whom God sent Jesus to say, Pierce Jesus. Now, how many times have we read the account of Jesus' death in Matthew 27 during Good Friday? Now I want to read that to us again to, to recognize what happened at the time, Matthew 27. I'm going to flip and read it. You can flip with me or you can listen along as I read it for us from Matthew 27, verse 22. 22 to verse 26. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah, Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd. I'm innocent of this man's blood, he said. It, it is your responsibility. Sounds familiar? All the people answered, His blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flopped and handed him over to be crucified. As you move on to John's gospel, again, this is what it says in John's gospel in his 19th chapter. The Jewish leaders, after Jesus had died, they they asked Pilate to have the legs of those crucified to be broken and their bodies be taken down before Sabbath. But when it comes to Jesus' body, the soldiers seeing that Jesus had already died, they, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear and a gush of water and blood just splatter out as the people looked on john wrote this word he said this happens so that the scripture will be fulfilled not one of his bones will be broken and another scripture says they will look on the one they have pierced so who killed the son of god the answer is that the people who detested God and sinned against God. It must be. In fact, as the hymn goes, it was our sins that helped Him there. Now friends, even though you and I, we were not physically there when Jesus was crucified, let us not be mistaken that our hands were not stained with the blood of Jesus. Because here is the reality. The reality is that our human rebellion against God will always culminate in us wanting God to be dead, to be silenced. We do not want God to judge us or tell us what to do. We want to be our own gods. The only gods we'll ever want in our life are genie gods who can be tamed. We want a genie God to bless us like Santa Claus when we keep a checklist to heal our bodies and even make us young, as some claim when we eat the communion bread and wine. We want a genie God who will butter trade with us on our terms. And if God will not dance to our music in our rebellion, we want Him to get lost and be silenced. By our human rebellion, we do not want to hear about our sins. Jesus said in Matthew 11 verse 17, What can I compare with this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplace calling out to the others. Hey, we, we play the flute for you and you, Jesus, did not dance. Hey, we, we sang the dirge, the funeral song, and you, Jesus, did not mourn. And because Jesus, the Son of God, could not be tamed and controlled, the people murdered Him. Look, there's still many in every generation, in our generation, who wants a tame Jesus and not a King Jesus. And when you have no came Jesus, then in the name of tolerance or intolerance, people want God to be shut up.
3: So who killed the son of God? The answer is sinful, rebellious people, including you and me.
2: But there is a second answer to the question who killed the son of God, and the answer must be God. God. So now look with me to Zechariah back again. You are flipping with me back and forth a few pages. Zechariah 13. Zechariah 13 verse 7. Let me read this for us as we flip to Zechariah 13 verse 7. I'll just read one verse. Awake sword against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares
3: the Lord Almighty.
2: While men are responsible for the killing of the Son of God, it was also God who awakens the sword, he said, to strike his chosen shepherd, the man close to him. Now, When God sent his son, Jesus, to be born on earth, he also knew Jesus would have to die for our sins in order to save you and me. And so the day Jesus was born, God has determined that Jesus, the true shepherd, would die for the sheep. And Jesus knew that throughout his life and he had repeatedly told his disciples he would die. And so it was no coincidence that the last word Jesus said before he breathed his last was this, it is finished. Dear friends, God has offered us his way of redemption. And it's not by us fulfilling a checklist but by mourning over our sins and turning to God and asking Him for forgiveness. I wonder if you have done that. On that day, Zechariah 13 verse 1, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. Now, if you were to look at Zechariah 13 carefully, you will notice it is first given to the house of David, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. But it is also extended to us as we shall see next week in the last chapter of Zechariah. But I want to just fast forward this briefly today, in case you are hearing God's good news for the first time and you might not join us next week. Listen to how the people mourn after they have killed Jesus. And turn, I want to you to, if you are willing, turn with me or listen to me read the last passages I'm going to flip to today from Acts chapter two, verse. 36. So X is a bit off further off the four Gospels. Acts turn to the second chapter. I want to read this closing passage for us. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Having explained Jesus' death and resurrection, the apostle Peter cried these words. is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our
3: God will call.
2: Dear brothers and sisters, dear friends, the gospel of Jesus written in Zechariah promises forgiveness of sins when we repent, when we, you turn back to God. Because if we do, he will remove our sins and impurity. So as we wrap up today's passage in Zechariah 11 to 13, leaving the last few verses for next week's finale with chapter 14, I want to come back to the account of Marshall Shelley. He served in Denver Seminary and was part of the Christianity Today International for 34 years, serving the Lord faithfully. Marshall wrote this. He said, I was with my son his entire life. Two minutes. He entered the world of light and air at 8.20 on November 22nd, 1998, 1991. And he departed, the doctor said, at 8.22. It, it seemed a very short time. Too short. My wife, Susan, and I never got to see him take his first steps. We barely got to see him take his, his first breath. Do you have a name for the baby? One of the nurse's ask. Toby, Susan said. Toby. It's a short for a biblical name, Tobiah, which means God is good. Now, Marshall wrote later on, said, so many things I wondered, but one question loomed larger than all the rest, haunting me for months, and the question is this, why would God create a child to live Two minutes. Why would God create a child to live two minutes? Why would God create a child to live two minutes? It was a question Marshall struggled with for a long time. Eventually, Marshall answered his own question. Why did God create a child to live two minutes? He answered, he didn't. He didn't create Toby to live two minutes or Mandy, another of his daughter who died three months after Toby. God created each of us for eternity. Now, dear brothers and sisters, dear friends, if, if you're here for the first time, whether you're young or think you, have, and think you have eternity ahead or your hair is gray and you wonder where the decades have gone or that you were sick, and you hear deaf footsteps pacing your door whenever the light goes out. The reality is that God had designed you and me to live forever with Him. We are the ones who chose to turn away from God. In the whole of history, the only person God chose to bring into the world specifically to die is His own son. So that you and I, rebellious sinners, would mourn over our sins to cry out to God and by His Spirit, turn to Him and be forgiven by the blood of Jesus that was spilled for you and for me. Now, dear friends, let me ask, do you hear God's call to you for you to turn back to Him? Because if we do, we will escape the willing reserve for those who refuse to turn back to God. That last breath. Now, the message from the book of Zechariah has never been clearer. Return to me, says the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Have we returned to God? Now, I want you to invite us to close our eyes for a moment to quieten our hearts, to consider where our hearts are facing. As we close our eyes, we can physically or symbolically touch our hearts and ask ourselves, where is my heart turned towards at this moment? At this moment, touch your heart. Ask yourself, where is my heart turned towards at this moment? Is it a world, your desires,
3: your rejection of God, bitterness,
2: Or are you turned back to God? Can I ask this if if you're a professing Christian, as your eyes are still closed and you're thinking about yourselves and your own heart, if you're a professing Christian like, like I am, are we still holding on to our first love? Are we still loving our Creator God, the one whom Adam first laid his eyes on at creation, the one who knew you and I while we were in our mother's womb, the one we looked to when we first became Christian, do we still hold on to our first love? Now, if, if you are a professing Christian, can I invite you to turn to God right now, ask him to renew our love for him. To plead for him to hold us fast because we are so skewed with spiritual distraction. If we linger our eyes too long on this earth,
3: our hearts will turn to it as well. If you're a Christian, can I invite you to to do that?
2: But now, if if you're not a Christian, you're here exploring and trying to understand life and you are serious about life. Can I ask you, would you hear the words in Zechariah and the gospel? Because we are made for eternity. You and I, we have a void this world cannot fill. God is the only one who offers eternal life in his kingdom. And that is the reason why God was silent as he watched Jesus, his perfect son, breathe out his last on the cross. Would you come? Would you come to God? Return to me, says the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Just take a moment. I'd like to invite you to speak to God yourself. And after that, I'll close in prayer.
3: Take this time as you touch your own heart and speak to God.
2: If you're not yet a Christian, you've been hearing the gospel, can I plead with you as a sinner to another sinner? Take the offer that God
3: has offered. It is not free. God paid it himself. Let me close this time as I lead us to pray to God.
2: O oh God of grace, for us to call you Father, it's only possible when you remove our sins and place it on our King Jesus. Only possible when you credit his righteousness into our soul to clothe us with his holiness while he bore our shame. Oh God, even our best days, we are still quick to sin against you. How our humility, the best of our humility can quickly turn to pride. Our sufferings into bitterness, your blessings, our idols. Oh God, unless you forgive our sins and accept our repentance in Jesus, our tears will not wipe away our filth. So today, today we plead by the blood of our King, forgive us whenever we turn back to you, whenever we mourn of our sins against you, please hold us not accountable for our guilt, for we cannot,
3: we cannot bear your wrath. We cling to
2: your words, that when we return to you in Jesus, Lord Almighty, you will return to us. So help us to drink deep, to drink deep in your love for there is none who love us more than you our maker
1: in jesus name we pray
3: amen
2: hello friends we're gonna sing this next song together <laughs>
1: the song. Uh, we will now have a time of uh, discussion and breakout time. Uh, there are two questions here uh, for reflection today. Uh, the first is, what is the difference between knowing about God and knowing God? The second is, the difference. what's the difference between knowing about God's forgiveness and knowing His forgiveness personally? Uh, so, uh, the team will break out everyone, uh, to the different groups and then uh, we'll gather back again.
0: Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busybc.sg.